All right, and good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, you're looking good this morning. Wow, that got really bright real quickly. And anyway, we're glad that you're here. Uh, listen, we're, we're in the midst of a series called But I Say. And, and, and I want us to do this because today, I, I think it has a tendency, at least going through the first service, this could get like really deep pretty quickly. So everybody just like take a deep breath real quick. Let it go. It's, it's going to be okay, I, I promise. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up, open up to Matthew chapter 5. I want to get into this pretty quickly this morning. But before we do that, I want to share this. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I like to pay attention to the news, and sometimes it's hard. This was a big news week. We had the elections earlier this week, and, and so people, some people are like really in tune to the news and paying attention to what's going on. And I don't know if you picked this up or not, but it depends upon what station you watch, whether or not it was a good election. Like, like everyone has their own biased point of view, and so some people are like, man, this was a great election, everything went just right, and others are like, this was the worst election ever. And, and there's a whole bunch of people that's got kind of sick of all the opinions and the pundits and all that stuff. So more and more people are turning to social media to kind of, I want to pick up what's happening without all the commentary, which there's still commentary on social media, but whatever. But they, but they get turn to different sources to get their news. And so this week, I was kind of paying attention to what was going on. I was paying attention to social media news and whatnot. And, and one of the cool things about getting your news through social media is sometimes some of the stories that maybe weren't gaining traction in, in national news all of a sudden, because someone shared it on social media, on Facebook or Twitter, all of a sudden it starts to gain traction and people start to find out about it. And so I was paying attention to the news and I saw an article that kind of popped up that I became interested in. And all week long I've kind of watched this article, this story evolve a little bit. And, and if you pay attention, you might have seen this or at least you're familiar with the, with the main character that's part of this. But there's a famous actor, he's in Transformers, named Shia LaBeouf. Or Shia LaBeouf and, and, and he's, a lot of people got to know him after Transformers. He became kind of a big deal. And he's always been a little bit kind of different. He's done some strange things in the past. But he's, right now they're filming a movie. He's in a movie right now filming with Brad Pitt. And in this movie, he's playing the part of, of a character who's memorized a lot of the Bible. And so it led to some, some fascinating discussions on set, they say. And, and he really started asking a bunch of questions of different people. And one of the producers that's producing the movie is a, is a believer. And so he started asking all these questions. And at some point in the middle of that, he says, not only is this a, a story that I'm acting out, but it's starting to become who I am. And, and he came out recently in a magazine and said, I've become a, a follower of Jesus because of this part that I played. I started asking a bunch of questions, and so I became a follower of Jesus. Now, this is the part we have to start to take a deep breath, because uh, <laughs> what, what made news wasn't what had happened, but what he said about what happened. Because in this interview, they're asking him about, okay, you decided to follow Jesus. What does that mean? And he said this. He said, I became a believer and not in some effing BS way. <laughs> Only he didn't say effing or BS. And, and so he says that and everybody's kind of like, oh my goodness, he doesn't get it at all, does he? <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing, because, because there are a bunch of the, the Hollywood people that all kind of pointed to him and said, it's a part he's playing. He's not legitimate. It's not real. It's not going to change his life. And then there were a whole bunch of people, a bunch of Christians who probably wanted to embrace the story. Said it'd be really cool if a Hollywood actor like that really embraced Jesus and started to follow him. But, but we look at that and we say, but, but obviously he didn't get it. I mean, look at the language he's using. And, and, and there's a couple of issues I have with that. First of all, we make an assumption that right away a new convert is going to completely get it. And I think that's kind of a dangerous assumption for us to make. And there's also an assumption that we make that even we who've been following Jesus for some time, that we even fully get it. See, the series we're looking at, but I say, Jesus is addressing a, a group of, of followers. He's, he's been up on the mount, spent time with the Father, and he comes down, and he's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, he's gathering a group of followers together. 
But part of the conversation he is having is about the religious elite of his day and how they've been teaching certain things and they had fallen in love with the law of God without actually falling in love with God. And here's why I think this is a big deal for us is because I think sometimes when we start going to church long enough, we start to understand what it means to put on a front of following Jesus. And everybody can look at us from the outside and say, man, it seems like they got it all together. They never make any big mistakes. They're, they're not falling apart. They must be really in love with Jesus. But on the inside, we know that's not necessarily where we're at. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm a whole lot more concerned with the inside. I'm, I'm a whole lot more concerned with where your heart is. And so there's some things that you've heard. And in fact, there's things you've heard even from Scripture that are very, very true. But let me explain the intent of that law. For instance, last week, Jesus said this. He kind of broke down the sixth commandment. He says, you've heard it said you should not murder. And we all agree that's a great law to live by. If you're teaching your kids, it's an important law to teach them. Don't commit murder, kids. We don't want that to happen. Like, we all agree that's a good thing. But Jesus says, that's important. But let me tell you this. It's just as important. Don't be angry. Don't judge. Don't make fun of. Because at the end of the day, though the way it works out in our relationships is very different, the heart issue is very much the same. You see, I don't, I don't know a lot of people that have a murder issue in their life. There's not a lot of people going around saying, man, I just can't control my murder. <laughs> but I know a lot of people that say, I just can't control my anger. And the problem is when, when our sin, when that stuff that's inside of us, it sits there and is allowed to fester long enough, it becomes a bigger issue. And so I don't know a lot of people that say, I can't control my murder, but I know a lot of people that say, I can't control my anger. And there are some people who, if they allow that to build up enough, it leads, working way, way out in the future to the nth degree, can lead to murder, can lead to hatred. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I'm telling you, don't even be angry. Like, that alone can lead. And there were some great discussions last week. Someone came up and said, what about, because even Jesus has a righteous anger and there is a place for that. But it's anger that we allow to fester that can eventually lead to some very, very bad behavior. Today in the text we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to tackle the second one of these six statements Jesus makes. And this one gets a little more heavy and, and it kind of gets a little bit more personal for a lot of us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it says this. You've heard, it said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, if we're teaching our kids, it's one of those things, hey, kids, this is not a good idea for you to do. Like, this is pretty point blank. We don't want you to do this. And most people say, in my life, I don't want to be guilty of this. But the problem is sometimes we can look at people who are guilty, and, and because we have a tendency to sanitize grace, to say, well, those are the really, really big sins that are out there. And this is one of them. Listen, I have journeyed with families where, and they didn't intend, it wasn't that they set out to do this, but, but adultery became part of their relationship. And I've journeyed with some families who said it was too much for us to handle, and so it led to disagreements, it led to dissolution of the relationship. And I've seen others who dealt with adultery in the marriage and said, well, it's going to be hard, we're going to persevere, and they worked through it. But in each case, it affected them. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, commit, do not commit adultery. Like, this is one of those big deal sins we, that we want to make sure we guard ourselves against because we don't want this to become part of the culture of our life, of our relationships. And so Jesus says, and, and, and part of it is this, throughout Scripture, we see the marriage relationship being symbolic of our relationship with God. And Ephesians chapter 5, it's commanded to us as husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And throughout Scripture, we see that kind of the, the, the analogy of those relationships working together. And so when there's infidelity in a relationship, it affects the picture of our relationship with God. 
And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And that's a, that's a good command to have. And that's something we have to hold fast to. But let me do this. And I want us to understand this. In a couple weeks, we're going to break this down a little bit further. But I want us to understand that when Jesus does, you, you've heard it said, but I say, his goal is not to add to the law. There are people who love the law who want to figure out how to work out every single scenario of our lives so our lives are governed by, our, by the law. Our lives aren't governed by the law. Our, our lives are governed by God. So Jesus is not trying to add to the law. He's trying to break down the law to say, here's what the law's original intent was really meant to be. And so he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We look at that and say, man, I had the adultery thing down really well. But doesn't this take it up a notch? Doesn't this make it a little bit harder? And it does. It makes it more challenging. But Jesus says, at the end, really the issue is the same. Because the same way, I don't know a lot of guys who say I have a murder problem. I do know guys that have an anger problem. And I don't know how a lot of guys that have an adultery problem. But I know most guys that have a a lust problem. And if the lust problem isn't dealt with at its core, while we still have a chance to deal with it, eventually, if if we don't work it out, it works itself out. It can lead to stuff like adultery. It can lead to dissolution of relationships because lust is a big deal. And here's my fear. Because I've talked to a lot of guys who are in different boats when, when it comes to this particular topic. Some, and if you're young, here's the deal. While you're young, deal with it while you're young. You think, well, I've, I've, especially being a youth pastor, I started dealing with a bunch of guys that were in college. And I know for a lot of those guys in college, they're like, listen, I have this problem while I'm in college because I'm not married. But once I get married, I, I, that problem's going to be gone because I'm going to have a wife and that lust issue is going to be gone. And they get married and they wonder, why didn't it go away? And it's because it was a core issue that was never dealt with. And so Jesus says, let's deal with that issue now. Let's take care of that now before it grows into something that is beyond our control. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I'm here to tell you, don't even lust after a woman. Now, it's interesting. I I would assume that in that group of people, there are women and men that are present. Jesus here particularly addresses the men. And I think he understands this because this is primarily, though not only, it is primarily a man issue. Most guys were in groups of guys talking through the Bible and things. We admit these are things that we're struggling with. And so Jesus says, let me address the guys for a second. Not that it's, that it's just a guy issue, because I know there are women that struggle with the same thing, but Jesus directly addresses the guy because it is a, primarily a, a man issue. He says, so guys, be careful of what you do, because most, of, most, most guys I doubt, deal with, most, guys, most of the guys that are like us, we say, well, this alone isn't a big deal. Like, I know if I commit adultery, that's a big deal, and it could mess up my relationship. But if I just do this, if I just look after someone and, and I kind of glance and I glance for too long, it's not that big a deal. Like, I'm not really hurting anybody. And, and when I think that way, there are two really, really bad assumptions that I make. The first assumption is this. To assume that, that when I do that, that I'm not affecting others. See, when I lust after something that I don't have, I don't appreciate what I do have. And that's true in any walk of life. Lust isn't just a a sexual thing, it's just in life. If if right now I have a vehicle and I really, really like my vehicle, but the new 2015 F-150s are coming out, and those things look really, really nice. And when I see that new vehicle, I'm like, dude, I really want that car. All of a sudden, the car that I have that yesterday I really, really liked, I look at it now through a different lens. 
And because now I, I want something, I desire something. See, lust is all about desiring something that isn't ours. And because now I desire something that isn't mine to have, it makes me fail to appreciate what I currently have. And that's one thing when it's a car and it's an inanimate object. But it's another thing when we realize that our relationships are real people. And that it, it changes when, when we look after a person with lust that's not ours, when we desire to have something that's not ours to have. It affects the way we view the people we do have relationships with. And we'd be naive to think, if we don't deal with sin like this, that it doesn't in some way affect our relationship we have with our Father. I can't continue to say, God, this this isn't that big deal in my life. Because it's never going to go to that degree that I'm really going to hurt people and commit adultery. And so because of that, this quiet sin in my heart... I'm just going to keep it here, and I'm not going to deal with it, and it's not going to affect anybody else. It's not going to affect my relationship with you. We're still good, God. And God says, wait a minute, there's still sin that's separating us, and you don't want to deal with it. The second false assumption we make is that, well, I can, I can control this. It's just going to be lust. It's going to be me focusing on where I'm at right now, but I can control it. It's never going to go past that. I can't tell you the number of guys, and I'm talking about good guys. I've had great friends who are like ambitious followers of Jesus, and they're trying to do the right thing, and, and it began with just a cursory glance, and they saw something, and, and they became emotionally attached, and before they knew it, guys who said, I would never, ever do anything like that found themselves in positions where they didn't know how to respond. See, we're naive when we think that these small glances and things we're focusing on don't start to have some sort of control over life because what controls my eye, if I allow it to fester long enough, eventually controls my mind. And what controls my mind, if I allow that to build up long enough, eventually controls my heart. And I find myself desiring something that's not mine to have. And so Jesus breaks it down and says, listen, if you're doing that, if you say that you look after a woman with lustful intent, you're doing the same. You're committing adultery in your heart. So then the question becomes, okay, what do we do about that? Like, like how do I address that? How do I fix that? Because I know a lot of guys who say, I don't want to be like this. Like, it started off when I was young, and, and I thought it was kind of cool, and I was kind of naive. But now as I grow, on, grow up in life, I'm starting to see this is becoming a big deal, and I don't like this about my character. So what do I do? How do I extricate this out of my life? And Jesus says, okay, if you want to know, it's about to get extreme on us. Because Jesus says, if you want to fix the problem, here's what you do. It says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? For it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you should lose one of your members and your whole body go in hell. So he says, listen, and he talks about the first two parts of our body that first lead us into lustful areas. He says, if your eye has led you astray, here's how to fix it. Take out your eye and throw it away. And that's extreme. He says, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut off your hand and throw it away. Obviously, he's speaking in hyperbole here. He's not saying, because I could, I could take out my eye and lust could still be an issue. I could take off my hand and lust could still be an issue. But he's saying, whatever it is that's causing the problem in your life, deal with it. Get down to the core of that problem and remove it from your life before it becomes a bigger, hairier, nastier deal. And that's true about whatever things, whether it's lust, whether it's some other area of our life, we know, man, that sin has been allowed to build. If I don't get down to the root of the problem, if I don't figure out what it is that's causing the bigger problems, then the things can keep popping up. 
And I see a lot of men, they get into this boat and they try to treat the symptoms. They say, I see where lust is acting out in this area, so let me address that symptom and stop that. And I see where lust is acting out in this area, and let me address that symptom and bring that back. But we never deal with the root issue that lust is the issue, and so it keeps working itself out in different ways. And so he says, let's get down to the core of the issue, figure out what it is, and whatever that thing is, let's go ahead and remove it. So what does that look like for us practically? If I'm sitting here to a whole congregation of people, and I say, for, for each one of us, probably working this out in our individual areas of, of life are very, very different. We have people here that are single. We have people that are here that are married. We have people here that are widowed. We have, you know, we have people in all facets of life. And, and, and so if we were to give a generic teaching in each of those areas, I would say this. If you are single, work very hard to live a lifestyle of purity. Because here's what we have a tendency to do. As soon as we hear the word purity, we think this blocks out certain things that I can't do. But it would make it a whole lot easier for us because of the way that we're wired. If we say we can do this and we can't do this, so let's come up with a list of things and let me follow these things and then I'll feel like I'm pure. Well, I don't want to build upon rules. I want to say, listen, in your life, live out a life of purity. Whatever that looks like, you have to figure that out, but live out that life of purity. Don't just figure out what you can't do, but say, God, in my life, I want to be a pure person. I want to seek after you. And that's going to work itself out in my relationships and the way that I talk to people and the way I deal with people. And definitely in this area, it's going to work itself out. The second one, if you're married, we have a lot of married people here today. And I want us to get this. If you're married, let your spouse be the absolute affection, uh, the absolute object of your affection. If you're married, let your spouse be the absolute object of your affection. Maybe you're on the road to getting there and you're saying, I'm about, I'm about to get married or I'm planning on getting married. Learn right now what it means that throughout the rest of your life, let your spouse know that they are the absolute object of your affection. It's going to help you out because life gets busy and, and people start throwing us attention and, and, and our affection, our, our desire can be turned away from where it's supposed to be. And so it can help us out as a person on this side saying, I need to know in my life that my wife is the absolute object of my affection, but also she needs to know that. Let your spouse know, not just in your life, but in their life, that they are the absolute object of your affection. Guys, we pour our, sometimes our life and our soul into our, our jobs and our careers, and we give everything we can in that endeavor. And we come home, and our wives and our families have whatever's left over. And that's simply not fair. If our wife is the object of our affection, and I know that, and she knows that, it's going to change this area of my life. I'm not saying guys aren't still going to struggle with this. We still can. But if I say in my life, God, I want to be pure. In my life, I want to make sure that I know and that my wife knows that she is the absolute object of my affection. And the third one is this. If something I see could become an area of lust, don't allow it to linger. See, unfortunately, we live in a society where sometimes things happen. We don't even intend for them to happen. We're watching TV, and all of a sudden, maybe an ad comes on, and we didn't have any control of it. All of a sudden, we see something, we're visual, and we see something, and we can't control what we just saw. But we can't control how long we allow that to linger. And we look, and we give it a second glance and a third glance, and eventually what controls our eyes starts to control our mind. What controls our mind starts to control our, starts to control our heart. And we allow that desire to permeate our being. So Jesus here is teaching, saying right now, before it becomes a bigger issue, deal with it. 
Yeah, without a doubt, it could, it could become a big deal, and, and adultery is a big deal, and, and murder is a big deal. But before it gets to that point, deal with it now so that it doesn't become, working itself to that nth degree, it doesn't become that. And I think there's two things always we have to keep in view in this series. Number one is Jesus trying to give this teaching to those who haven't committed these big, huge acts to say, I know you don't think it's possible. I know right now, if, if you have an anger problem, but you've never committed murder, I know you don't think it's possible you're going to commit murder, but deal with it now before that does happen. I know that if, if you haven't committed adultery, but, you've, but you have lust in your heart, then deal with it now before it leads to adultery. So first part of Jesus is saying, deal with it now, deal with that core sin before it gets to be bigger than it, than it is now. But also, I think the message is just as clear, that when we try to sanitize grace, we cheapen grace. I want us to see this because for me, as I've been working throughout this message for the last week or two, I I see this because we do this. We have a tendency to say, well, those sins right there, those things are really, really bad. Like murder is really bad. I don't ever want to do that, but my anger is not as big a deal. And God can work with me who have an anger problem, but God can't deal with that person. God can't work with that person because he's a murderer. And I read the story of Paul who was present while people killed Christians and probably participated himself. And I find out that God used him. And I said, well, I have a lust issue, but God can't work through me having a lust issue. But God can't work through the guy who's committed adultery because that was really bad. He destroyed his marriage relationship, and, and God could never use him again. And that sounds really nice until I read about David who did those, both of those things. And God continued to use him. Could you imagine if, if a pastor got up on stage on a Sunday morning? And he confessed to the church, and he said, listen... I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. And he got up and denied Jesus. Like right away, people would throw stones, they get mad at him, and they say God could never use him because he's up on stage on that platform, and he misused that, and he doesn't know if he believes in God. And yet Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus restores him. The message is when we sanitize grace, we cheapen grace. God looks at us and says, no matter how much we've messed up, I can still restore you, I can still use you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter how bad you think it is or how bad other people think it is. I'm in the process of cleaning you up. Embrace that message. Follow me. Let's go back to the very beginning of this message. I talked about Shia and, and his recent conversion to Christianity. Everyone heard his first statement. They got all fired up and either they loved it or they hated it. And they said, see, he doesn't really get it because he just used some really foul language. And, and you know what? He probably could have cleaned that up. But watch the second part of this quote. Because after that, he said this. He was talking specifically about the part he was playing and the role he had to memorize his parts for. And he said, I could have just said the prayers that were on the page. I had memorized the prayers. I memorized the scripture. I could have just said those things and that would have been it. It would have been a mind thing. But he said about his real genuine conversion, it was a real thing that really saved me. It's a full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control. That's powerful. Because I know a lot of people consider themselves Christians who learned how to clean up the outside of their exterior. They learned to clean up and say, I'm not going to do these big sins because I want to make sure that everybody sees me as having it all together. But on the inside, we know we're just as hypocritical. We're just foul and dirty because we don't have this desire in our life. I know a lot of people consider themselves Christians that would never say, man, God came in and really saved me. And it's a full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control in my life. And later on in this interview, he even said, listen, as an actor, I'm used to being in control of my life. And this scares me. 
Now, was he sincere? I have no idea. I don't know him. I've never had a chance to have a discussion with him, and it's not my place to figure that out. But I do know this statement right there. It's a full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control. It says, listen, Jesus is trying to change us from the inside out. Is there a process involved in cleaning us up? Absolutely. And hopefully if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, where we are now is, is a far cry from where we started off in this journey. But if we think we have it all together, if we think we've had it all figured out, Jesus is coming and saying, you heard it said, you think you have it figured out, but I say we still got to get to the heart of this issue. The heart of the issue is a surrender of control of our lives. Say, God, I don't just want to learn to obey you on the exterior. But God, I want a heart that beats for you. I want to have a heart that just longs to, to, and that's how purity becomes a part of who I am. Not because I want to do the right thing on the outside, but God, my heart, I want my heart to be pure. I want to look after right things. And if there's something that's going to distract me from that, that's going to gain my affection in the wrong way, God, I want to turn my affection towards things that are above, not on things here on earth. And God, as we have these relationships in our life, I want to have my wife be the sole object of my affection here on earth. Because in that relationship, I'm honoring you. Let's pray.